sweet. I think we should just do this. Nice. Just settle in. Feel the energy settle. We just take a break. A deep breath. Let out anything that you might be holding on to in this moment. Let's let this time we spend together today to be a, um, a time of, of peace and compassion, clarity, beauty, love. Don't know where to love, where to see beauty. Say sweet things to your heart. Your heart loves that. And see that heart just cracking open, expanding. And so let's sing a song, say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very So I invite you to know with me, allowing my words to be yours. And if not, let them wash over you. But what I know and I recognize in this moment it is there one power and one presence, one life. That life is perfect. That life is God's life. And knowing that I take dominion over my experience and my consciousness, I get to choose what life I identify with and live from. And I choose that one. I choose this divine force for good, this divine genius, this intelligence, this unconditional love that sees life from 30,000 feet. To understand deeply and powerfully that, that your soul, my soul is eternal. That we have taken form and we have taken, come to this plane of experience to learn and to grow. And so I just give thanks beforehand for the, the powerful information, for the consciousness of Dr. Ernest Holmes that is with us today, for the consciousness of Reverend Dr. Michael Beckwith who's with us today, with the Christed consciousness of this beautiful itinerant preacher from Nazareth that is with us today, the Buddha nature is with us today. Whatever you resonate with that lifts you up, I su support you in that resonance and that lifting. And so I just give thanks this day knowing that everything is in divine right order, that everything that is important for you and I to know for our next right steps through the threshold of consciousness is available, obvious, clear, and welcoming. And for this I give thanks. I invite you to say with me. And so it is. You know, I was saying at the first service, um, and if I'd known that all of the, the voice lessons I took over the years would eventually end up me singing one song every Sunday for uh, a minute. <laughs> the, the money and the time spent on that, I'm telling you. But I guess that's what it takes to get us ready sometimes. Huh? Practice, practice, practice. 
So we're discussing today the second coming. Anybody recognize that fellow up there? Yeah, because a lot of people are waiting for that fellow to show back up. And so I wanted to, uh, and this is inspired by a beautiful chapter in Dr. Michael's book, uh, The Spiritual Liberation, that we're using this month. And as he says, the second coming is an awakening to our own state of Christ consciousness. I want to flesh that out with you a little bit today. What does that look like? What does that mean? Because that can be quite abstract at times, but it truly, is, it truly is the foundational piece of what we stand for as metaphysicians. That we become either the, that, that, that place where it happens or not. I'm going to share with you a story, one of the, it was inspired by a, a movie I saw this uh, week co- uh, called Dancing in the Fire, and it's about Marion Woodman, amazing author and uh, Jungian analyst and uh, uh, teacher. But she says at the beginning of the movie, we all have a destiny. We all have a destiny. And we either live it or escape it. And I, am, I choose not to escape it. Even as a small boy, I remember the times that I would spend behind my family's home. We had a, 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 an area that was just full of woods. It wasn't a big woods. You could walk through it in about you know, five minutes, but it was an area that was left alone. And I spent days and days down there in my imagination, playing in the trees, laying on my back, looking up through the trees. And, and there was just such an aliveness there. It was so nurturing, and it was a sanctuary where I could go and play in my thoughts and play in what was moving through me. And I think at the time, you know, I, I didn't recognize it because I didn't have the capacity maybe to, to interpret it with as much clarity. But looking back, it was such a beautiful space. So the way that, that the, the great teacher Jesus worked for his spiritual awakening was through his practices, through meditation, prayer, contemplation, introspection, and solitary retreats. And so we talked a bit last week about spiritual practices, and I just want to touch on them again. The spiritual liberation practices that Michael talks about, uh, uh, you know, this idea of relaxing our jaw, closing our eyes, seeing a blank screen before us, just shutting down the mainframe of, of awareness and the busyness of the mind. To see the blank screen and then beauty and love, wherever we see beauty and love, there's God, there's the infinite. I mean, the beautiful song by Joni Mitchell. I found out this morning that Noreen went to the same high school as Joni Mitchell. Thank you, Noreen. Not at the same time. She's much, much younger than Joni Mitchell. And my reply to that was George Washington and I went to different high schools together, as a matter of fact. So I got that going for me. And your congratulations, 34th. 37th wedding anniversary today, so congratulations. And they said it would never last. And here we are. But she was the one that actually inspired me to look into this Mary Woodman material, which is so rich and wonderful. But we all have a destiny, and we either live it or we escape it. You know, I love it, that book by uh, Scott Peck, People of the Lie. And if you're unwilling to, to look at the, what, if we're unwilling to look at the things in our lives that, that are triggering us, then we get to join the camp of the people of the lie. We keep escaping it. So it's a, it's a fascinating journey, and I, I wouldn't miss a second of it the more I know about it. And then, of course, uh, meditation. And meditation is such an important uh, thing to have in our lives. It is the, one of the cornerstones of, of spiritual living. And so those are uh, last week's. We also talked about the the backpack that evolved people, the things that the evolved people do. We put it into a backpack, and I'll just touch on them uh, briefly. 
There's the backpack. First one is gratitude. The evolved people find gratitude in everything they, they do, in every environment they enter into. They bring gratitude there because gratitude is the third kingdom of co-creation experience. They give without agenda. So there's a generosity about it because when you're connected with the divine source of all life, you understand when we do our, we've slowed down our offering to let people turn it into a spiritual practice for people of meaning because people are, are stretching and growing and, and, and giving and receiving is just such a powerful, powerful practice to do mindfully. So giving without agenda. Racing to forgive first. So if we get tricked, triggered or, or hooked by someone to, to not spend a whole lot of time in it but to get out of it what's important, get the healing out of it that's required for us and, and do our forgiveness work. View life as a celebration, not as a problem to solve. Talk to themselves. Keep our own counsel. Trust ourselves. The reason we don't talk to ourselves and, and, and we, we seek other people's counsel or opinions is because we don't trust ourselves. And if we don't, we don't trust ourselves because we're not in relationship with that still small voice within us that guides us and directs us. And sometimes, you know, most of us, myself included, I, I want the answers now. I want to ask a question. I want an immediate response. Come on, God. Let's go, let's go, let's go. I'm busy here. And sometimes it's sitting in it so that we have our, so our own awarenesses, it'll bubble up in our own awarenesses. And then we get it. Happiness over drama, we get to choose. Is this going to pr provide happiness for me or create more drama? Is this the way I am being today, a vehicle for more greater happiness or more drama? Is it greater freedom? Or, or not? Am I escaping something as means, uh, by means of this? Or am I, am I living my destiny? And then understanding the value of downtime. So we touched on those, and they're on the, the, um, the CDs that we have available in the bookstore. They're also available on our podcast online. And then we move into this second coming. And so it's not the personality of the guy, Jesus. In fact, I've seen pictures now, they've been able to recreate what they think the DNA was at the time when Jesus lived. And what I've seen, it was on, I think, one of the major magazines. It looked more like Howie Mandel with hair rather than this handsome Jesus standing there with his hands out. But the, but the Christ is really this, this experience. It is an energetic. It is the existential encounter. An existential Affirming is affirming or implying the existence of a thing, is all it means. And so for many of us, we've had the existential experience. You might be having it right now. But affirming a presence, a knowing. And so it's a welcome. It's also the open hand. Jesus fought the battle with the open fist. You know, you don't see any of the great avatars and teachers standing there with a clenched fist giving you the peace sign with one finger, all that stuff that can go on. It's the open hand. So beautiful, beautiful monk that always just cracks me open and, and, and uh, sings to my soul. Thomas Merton said it so beautifully. He said, then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts. And it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depth of their hearts, where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach. The core of their reality, the person that each one of us is in the eyes of the divine. I love the picture of this little child. 
If only they could truly see themselves as they really are. If only we could see ourselves as we really are. If only then could they see each other that way all the time. There would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. And I suppose that the big problem is we would all fall down and worship each other. That would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? But if we truly live from that and know that, you know, the beautiful story is of, of Jesus' life. You know, I don't know historically if it's all accurate, but I do know that he represents a metaphor. Marion Woodman's work was all about metaphor. She was a Jungian analyst, and so she did this work with the, the dark and the light. She talked about this gypsy that was always alive in her, that wanted to have these experiences, and there was the other part of her. And it's this duality, and it was all about this creative energy that wanted to flow through her. And she said, if, it doesn't, if we don't direct it, it has this satanic quality to it. And she's worked her whole career with, uh, with addicts. And what she has found that is the most productive with people that are addicted is they, where are you creative? Where can you express creativity? Because when we align, see, when we align with the divine in a certain way, when we align with creativity, that energy gets a chance to be expressed in a way that replicates and, and aligns with the divinity that we are. And so the, the story of Jesus, there's so many great stories that are told about him where he met Mary Magdalene, you know, that story in all the Gospels. And so what people saw in that, they saw the adulteress. And yet what he saw was a spiritual virtue. See, he didn't look at life and he didn't look at the ego and the personality as the end of it. He understood it. But it wasn't the totality of the being because he, he looked at it as John O'Donnell, he would say, with soft eyes. To realize, oh my gosh, look at, this is the beloved too. That's what I love about uh, Rumi's poetry and Hafiz and all these guys. It's the, it's the, it's the dance with the beloved. He said, so, you know, that beautiful story. And then this uh, next slide is one he saw where there was the physically af- afflicted. He saw perfect health. This is a, uh, a representation of the pools at Bethesda. And Bethesda had five uh, porches, all with pools. And I don't know if you know the story or not, but what happened is people would wait there for the water to start to stir. So they would sit by the pools and the water would start to stir. And as soon as one of the pools water would stir, the first person, the way the agreement was that everyone had in consciousness was the first person into the water would be healed. And so Jesus walks in one day and it's the Sabbath. And he says uh, to this man laying right next to the pool, he said, sir, what's up? He probably didn't say what's up, but you know, I mean, he probably said something like that. What's going on? And this guy said, uh, sir, I've been, I've been lying here on my bed for 38 years. And every time the water stirs, someone gets into the pool before me. That's a long time, 38 years. So Jesus looked at him and he said, arise, arise. Pick up thy bed and walk. And the guy says, hmm. I don't know what went on within this man, but he got up, picked up his bed, and walked. And the Pharisees came in and said, hey, what happened to you? You've been here, you've been here forever. No, just 38 years. Where are you going? He says, well, you know, somebody came by, and I had a healing. And then, of course, they went to look for the guy that did this, because you can't do that on the Sabbath. See, it's all about the rules. But it's not all about the rules. But it's all metaphor. It's all metaphor. Whether it happened or not, it's such a great example of our humanity. We wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. 
sitting by the pool and it's only for one person and of course I'm not that person. It's for someone else. For someone else to have an incredibly joy-filled life. To, for someone else to experience a phenomenal relationship of unconditional love. To have prosperity in our lives so that we can do the things that we want to do and go where we want to go and, and, and study what we want to study and go sit with great, great artists and, and masters of consciousness, whatever it may be. But we come into agreements and then we sit by the pool of possibility. And we, and we can't get in there fast enough. And it's not about getting into the pool. It's about, it's about opening to the consciousness. And that's what Jesus was teaching. He said, these things I have done, you shall do an even greater. And yet we still, it's so easy to abdicate the responsibility. The Christ consciousness, are you out of your mind? That's for extraordinary people. There are people in this room that have experienced it, a deep and wonderful. I know as a small boy laying in those woods down behind my parents' home by myself. You know, I was in bliss. It was so joyful. And I could play in my imagination. I could see things and it was so real and so wonderful. I'd have lived, I, would have, I would have stayed there all the time if I wouldn't have gotten hungry or tired or needed to go to the, needed to use the facilities once in a while. You know, when, when people saw lack, I love that picture. A little bird trying to get out of some water. It knows there's water in there. Can't get to it. But he saw abundance. He saw abundance. You know, the fishes and the loaves. I looked for a good fishes and loaves picture, but didn't find one that I thought was suitable. But, you know, I mean, and think about Jesus now. Fishes and loaves, and, and we were going to feed everybody, and so we had fish and, and bread. But what if you're gluten? You know, what if you're a, a vegetarian? What's available to you? That was a joke, by the way, but anyway. <laughs> I thought about that this morning. Hmm, yeah, isn't that interesting? Has he read Wheat Belly yet? <laughs> but it's one of abundance. It's one of abundance. It's all the way we see it. You know, in, in, uh, in Michael's book, he talks about the, the idea of a sculptor, this, uh, to, sense or, to see or sense possibility. This is the soft eyes to see life through for ourselves and others. To see or sense possibility. The sculptor sees the perfection emerging. You know, takes the, the hammer and the various chisels and shapes and chips away. But it's, there's some capacity for that artist to see this potential emerging. Or the songwriter. We have songwriters here with us today. The artist, the beautiful music. And they, they marry, they marry the, the melody with the words. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But it's, that, it's developing the capacity of the inner ear. Or a parent. Anybody here ever parented children besides me? Oh, my gosh. I wish I knew now, then what I know now. I would have been such a better parent. But part of this mystical journey as a, as a parent mystic or as the Christ of consciousness is that despite the behavior is to see the untapped potential and possibility within the child. Because children do what children do. And children need structure. They need, there's, you know, we, we need regret and remorse. We need guilt and shame at some level. We just don't need to make a lifetime out of it. You know, we do something and we, we make amends and we move on. Otherwise, it remains unresolved. All those things. But as, as, as parents, to continue to call forth, see the highest potential of our sons and daughters. We get to practice with our children so we can take it out into the world with the people that we interact with. 
There's a challenge at times. And then, of course, practitioners. You know, one of the things that one of the, the core proficiencies or, or modalities we have, we have practitioners sitting in the row every Sunday. There's two right before me here. They're sitting in prayer and holding the high watch of consciousness for all of us. And then, and then we invite people to come up and, and borrow someone's consciousness and assisting them in shifting something because practitioners are trained to not fall into the trap of the world of form. To see the world, to see one another and see the world from 30,000 feet and understand our souls are eternal. Our souls are eternal. We have shown up in this experience to be challenged, to have our hearts broken, to have our hearts celebrated, to, to, to learn and to grow. And, and if we understand, man, bring it on. What's the next learning for me here? Oh, man, it's wonderful. Wow, look at that. Here it comes. You know, and after a while, you know, I've been in this role now almost 20 years as a minister, and I gotta tell you, I've seen just about everything. I have seen and heard just about everything. And it's, it's such an honor. In this role, what happens is so many people have so many unhealed issues going on that they project it onto someone that looks like the figure of authority. And I watch it and I watch it, and for me to be able to process it quicker now, because the other challenge I have is I'm supposed to be open and loving. And one of the biggest challenges I have is to stand at that door at the end of this. And, and there are people there that want things from me I can't give to them. And I've finally gotten pretty good at standing there and seeing the spiritual potential in everyone, despite what's going on, and not taking it home with me. Am I, am I, am I at 100%? No. But I'm a lot farther along than I ever have been because I understand it. It's part of the job. What happens when we come together, especially in spiritual community where everybody's needs are supposed to be fulfilled, that's magical thinking. We are here, Michael Beckwith said last week, we're not here to get high, we're here to get free. And I love that, to be about that work. So the second coming is here and now. The existential encounter is determined by where we place our attention, where we place our attention. Life is either for us and teaching us and instructing us and everything I need to move forward is here now in my awareness, in my consciousness, or it's not. I get to choose. You and I get to choose. Where am I placing my attention? And if I don't have solid practice in my life of slowing down and listening to that still small voice, how can I hear anything? Then I got to get everybody else's opinion. What do you think I should do? Well, I don't know. What do you think you should do? I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me what to do. Well, I don't know, I need some time to think about it and I'll get back to you. Okay, good. And then we wait for them to come up with our idea, our solution. An existential encounter is determined by where we place our attention and the inner response we experience to what we see. Our inner response to what we see. This is someone's soul that is being cracked open. There's a wonderful story, I think she's up here. Well, I'll tell you about the Dalai Lama first. Howard, Howard Thurman who is the uh, father of Uma Thurman. If you've ever seen um, Quentin Caratino's movies, you've seen her. I had to stop watching them because it was just too much for me. My mom told me to stop, so I stopped. But Howard's, uh, Howard Thurman said, actually, I'm sorry, that's Robert Thurman. This is from Michael, Dr. Michael's book. Howard Thurman was actually Martin Luther King's, one of his Martin Luther King's teachers, and a brilliant man. He said, love is to meet a person where they are in consciousness. Love is to meet a person where they are in consciousness, but to treat them as though their spiritual potential were actualized. So whatever's going on in their lives, we meet them there. 
but to never stop seeing the beautiful potential of consciousness. And it's easier with some than others. But that's the call. If you signed up for this, if you're going to fulfill your soul's destiny, because otherwise you, you, you live in the lie. And then Dr. Robert Thurman, who is Uma Thurman's dad, I had Martin Luther King's teacher before him, he said that the Dalai Lama, he spoke at the Agape Center down in Los Angeles, and Reverend Dr. Michael writes about it in his book, Spiritual Liberation. He said, the Dalai Lama, he sees the good in all the people of China, and he prays for their highest welfare and wishes them to thrive, even as he witnesses the massacre of his people. I mean, that's some, that's some serious spiritual practice. How many of us have the capacity for that? Because it's so so tempting to judge you know the Dalai Lama has said many times you know I've, I've almost lost my way I've almost started hating the Chinese and he realized oh you know what I, that's not my agreement with myself and so so beauty you know here's this beautiful waterfall and it's not the Brazilian waterfall we go to but it's sure beautiful and the next slide is a beautiful flower I mean there's a there's God in expression and then there's more beauty so where are we finding the beauty today? Because there's beauty in here. You know, we do the music because there's, there's a pattern to it that is uplifting. There's an alignment with it. Beauty, 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 and more beauty. So Marion Woodman, I want to tell you a beautiful story about Marion Woodman. And, about, and she's done this amazing work. And this, this movie's called The Dance, Dancing in the Fire. And she talks about her life and she talks about the dualities of it. This gypsy and then the other part of her that we're always fighting. And this creative energy that is always seeking expression. And when it shows up, sometimes it feels like it's the devil if we resist it. So change shows up and we resist, resist, resist. It feels like we're being tortured. And that can be one experience of it. But when we surrender to it, Dr. Michael says the same thing in this chapter. When we surrender to it, it takes on a whole different quality. But we're metaphysicians. We don't surrender to nothing. Because we're God. We're not the totality of God. We are made in the image and likeness. And there's an intelligence and a divinity, as Dr. Holmes said. I don't know, but something within me does know. And that's the surrender. So Marion Woodman was talking about her journey in the movie. And she decided she was going to tour the world. She's going to go all around the world. And so she ended up in India. And in India, she's all by herself, and she gets very sick. No one there. She knew no one. And she's laying in the hotel room by herself, and basically, she's dying from dysentery. And so she was laying in the bed reading Shakespeare's sonnets. And she realized one day, that still small voice said to her, you need to get up and interact. You've got to get out of this bed, and you've got to get out of this room, and you've got to go somewhere. And so she went down. She had enough strength to make it down into the lobby of the hotel. She sat there. After a while, went back up to her room. Next day, the same thing. She realized she had to get out of the room, out of the bed. Went back down, sat on a couch in the lobby where she sat the day before. And she, and she was on the end of it. So she's sitting there at the end of the couch as she describes it. And all of a sudden, this very large black woman walks in. And now Marion had been doing the archetypal uh, work, the Jungian um, analyst work in her own life for five years in Switzerland. And she was very much drawn to the Black Madonna. 
And for Mary and the black Madonna represents the earth. It represents the earth is alive. This earth that we are upon has a consciousness and it's alive. And so she, t- she speaks so much more eloquently t- to it than I can. So the black Madonna was one of the archetypes for her that was alive. And so this woman walks in and Marion said it was so hot she had bare arms and this woman had bare arms. And she sits down, but she doesn't sit down on the part of the couch where there's room. She decides she's going to sit down between the arm of the couch and where Marion's sitting, which is next to it. And she sits down and wiggles her way in, and Marion's like, hmm, okay. And the woman, she said, when the woman's arm, everywhere the woman touched her body, it felt so good. She was like, oh my God, this is wonderful. And the woman kept pushing into Marion, and pushing into Marion. And pretty soon she said, I don't know how long she said it took, I'm at the other end of the couch. And she said, everywhere this woman touched me, I felt more alive. And so she said, we got done. She didn't say a word to me. I didn't say a word to her. I went up to my room and went to sleep. Came back down the next day. I'm sitting on the couch, same spot. In walks the woman. Wiggles down in between me and the end of the couch. And we do the dance all the way down to the end of the couch again. And nothing is said. But now, after a couple days, Marion says, I can finally eat. All of a sudden, there's an aliveness. There's a vibrancy that's coming back into her life. And by the end of about six days, Marion goes back down. She's eating now. She's feeling good. She's getting her strength back. And she's sitting on the couch. And this man walks up to her and he says, I just want to let you know my wife won't be joining you today. And uh, she says, oh, okay. She had no idea. This guy even knew who she was. He said, I saw you last week when you came down. And I knew you were dying. And so I told my wife that she needed to come and work with you. I mean, isn't it amazing? And here's Marion with this archetype of the black Madonna. And there's this beautiful black woman comes in and sits down to her. And through the energetics of the relationship, without words, without analysis, without relationship, just offers the unconditional presence of love. And pushes her all the way down the couch. I love that story. So if someone sits down, cramps you with something, maybe, you know, maybe there's something interesting happening there. But I think it speaks volumes. And Marion said, so this is what she said from this. Let's look at the archetype. She said many times in our lives, something, the, the, the black Madonna for her would come in and bring her to the brink of destruction. But it was also, and so, and, and so the, the, Andrew Harvey's interviewing her and says, why do you think that was? And she said, because I had to put down, I had to surrender There were things in me that had to die so that I could open to a more glorious experience. And she said, and that that dysentery brought me to death's door and it brought me down to my knees. And the thing that saved me was the same energy. One of it looked satanic and the other looked heavenly. But working together so that what needed to shift and change within Marion had to happen because otherwise she would die. That's such a beautiful story of her metamorphosis. And she, but she had stepped onto this platform of the, doing this, this deep interior work about her own makeup to free herself. There's another beautiful story in it where her husband and her are, are talking. And, and, part of the, and, and, and one of the epiphanies that happened for them is in their relationship, they, they described their marriage and said, we've had four different marriages. 
You know, for many of us, we've had, we have the one marriage and it doesn't work out and we're done with it. Well, when they'd get done with one, they would just move into the next marriage. They didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to go find another partner to play it out. They were on board with one another's evolution. It's a beautiful thing. And he said, what I realized for Marion was I was here to celebrate the freedom of her soul. We're here to, our, we're here to live with our souls free. But, but, but if we filter it through the, the, the egoic personality of competition and what's mine and what's yours and blame and shame and heartbreak and all that stuff, and that's part of it. But when we become over-identified with that and not realize, oh my gosh, there's something that is alive in me that is undefeatable, that is beautiful and wonderful, but it is not my personality, it is the truth of my being. Oh, it's lovely. And then we can stand together and as people show up, as, as uh, Howard Thurman said, meet people with, at the place that, of where their consciousness is now and yet see that spiritual magnificence. But a beautiful woman, if you get a chance, dancing in the fire. Just lovely. Lovely, lovely, lovely. So, Dr. Michael talks about this week some spiritual practices that, that I want to look at quickly with you. We've got the relaxing the jaw, closing your eyes, the blank screen, shutting down all the busyness. We've got the idea of uh, love and beauty, beauty and love. And then also meditation. Meditation is so important. He talks about this existential encounter that all of us are available to if we, if we welcome it. And then he talks about the angel of change. And this is what Marion Woodman was talking about. The angel of change is like a devil to those that resist it. So when we're in resistance, man, it's painful. Life's a challenge. What am I called to do? Challenging circumstances are, are the calling card of the angel of change. And it shows up in various ways. And I tell you what, if, we're, if we sign up for the curriculum, it's going to show up. But the results are so glorious and so freeing to live in the freedom of our souls. So shifting everyday reference points when we, we embrace the angel of change, it creates a gap through which reality may enter into our awareness. A new idea can have uh, uh, its way with us because we are surrendering our, our, uh, our alligator octopus-like grip on our limited thinking. When we surrender and give our consent to the changes we're guided to make, the angel of change then, when we surrender to it, when we realize that it's not a threat, but in fact it's here to bless us and move us and shift us, that's spiritual liberation. Instead of a nightmare, we have dreams of well-being and of inner invitations. Marion says this, you know, the Jungian analysis look a lot at dreams. She said, the last piece of every dream, I love this piece, so I'll share it with you. The last piece of every dream is where the juice is. Wow. And we have the, anybody here have crazy dreams? It's the last piece. It's where the juice is. It's where it's trying to send us, get our attention. Instead of nightmares, we have dreams of well-being and inner, inner invitations. Beautiful. The angel of change. And then also to ignite a fire of desire within yourself. To ignite a fire of desire within yourself. we've done that. We did that when we did our, our, our um, remember we did our um, tiles, which Noreen is making into a tapestry. So we left our tiles, one here, and took one home, our tiles. We picked out a quality of being. 
And so what Dr. Michael talks about in your meditation, so when we clear our mind, we relax our jaw, and we blank the screen, beautiful. And then he said the opportunity is, is to bring your awareness to your third eye, which is right here, this energy center right here. And when we do that, we move into oneness. It's, a, it's taking the physical body and moving into oneness. We go from the two eyes of duality to oneness. And he said, and ask yourself when your awareness is on there, what is my quality to represent? What, what am I an ambassador for today? What's the quality that I represent? And we did that with our tiles, correct? But I got up this morning and I realized, wow, my word's different today. My word this day is compassion. And, and, it, and it came, you know, I asked for it. I did my practice, I asked for it, and then, and, and it overtook me. It wasn't right in the moment, but it was shortly thereafter. And I realized, okay, I get to be the ambassador of compassion today. Hmm. And so I'm going to be compassionate with myself and with others. But if we don't do that, many times the winds of change that come through our lives and the, and the good opinions of others, as Ralph Waldo Emerson so beautifully articulated, can take us off course. But if we know that, wait a minute, my destination today is compassion. And I got over here in regret and envy for a little bit, but I don't want to go to the island of regret and envy. I want to go to the island of compassion. So I'm growing the neurotransmitters in my own awareness and my own consciousness because I take dominion over it. And I do that by having the clarity of mind and the spiritual practices that allow me to know that my feelings don't, I don't go where my feelings take me. I go where, my feelings go where I decide. And that's serious work. Because so many people on this planet let their, their emotions run their, their lives. And emotions are a good thing. I like going to a sad movie, crying. It's beautiful. But we ignite a fire of desire within us, but we get to set the course. We get to set the direction. Michael has at the end of every chapter in spiritual liberation, at the end of each chapter in affirmation. And he says, I welcome an existential encounter into my life. I mean, what a way to start your day. I welcome an existential encounter into my life. And even now, prepare my consciousness through meditation, affirmative prayer, contemplation, and introspection. So if you don't have time to meditate today, you have, but you might have time for contemplation, it is spiritual practice. To ask yourself, what quality am I called to cultivate? Because that's part of your destiny. And if you don't cultivate it, and you don't develop it, and you don't share it, we all lose. And where is my consciousness? Where's my consciousness today? So it's so beautiful to be guided by this beautiful chapter and say, wow, I get to choose where I want to be today. Despite all the busyness, got a busy, busy day. Lots of stuff going on. Boom, okay, get her done, get her done, get her done. I'm like, ooh, look at you, Mr. Busy. I am open and receptive, pliable and teachable. I move into my Christed state of consciousness. I move into my Christ's state of consciousness. What if you worked with that? You and I worked with that for a year. Where do you think we'd be? I'd rather do that. I'd rather use these, the, what Michael's writing about and answer the, the call, that, what I'm called to, rather than having to develop dysentery and be brought to death's door to have my awakening. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. 
I am open and receptive, pliable and teachable, and I move into my Christed state of consciousness. So this is the only moment. This is the eternal moment. And the second coming is here and now. It's you and I. Whether you accept it or not. If you accept it, fantastic. And if you don't, that's okay too, because this infinite divine intelligence has given us dominion. And if you choose to be miserable, it just says, I love you. You got it. Misery is yours. And if you choose happiness and love and beauty, it says, you got it. Happiness and beauty and love are yours. As he said earlier in the sharing today, when we have a spiritual direction toward life, we will see the beauty that surrounds us, the perfect man, the perfect woman and child that shines the light of the Christ self. And you are it. And I recognize and celebrate your Christ itself. So it is. Blessings.